Welcome to Great Minds for this happy and sad special edition of our podcast. Our guest today is one of the true comedic giants of America, the great late Stewie Stone. We had a chance to speak to Stewie just a few weeks before he died. He's a true legend going all the way back to the early days of the Catskills where so many American comedic legends made their bones. He was Frankie Valli's opening act for five decades and was a legendary member of the Friars Club, a place that is very near and dear to me. I'm thrilled that we had a chance to talk to Stewie right before he passed. His stories are incredible. I hope you enjoy this. Stewie, this is for you. We'll always remember you, always love you. And some of your story is captured here on Great Minds. Enjoy. Welcome to Great Minds, and we have an unbelievable uh, once-in-a-lifetime treat today. We're talking with someone that I've known probably 20-some-odd years. He is, without question, one of the funniest people I've ever met. Um, he is a jewel of a person, uh, a humanitarian, uh, and a joy to have in my life, and a joy to have him on Great Minds. I'm talking about the legendary Stewie Stone, one of the greatest comedians America's ever produced. So Stewie, a joy to get a chance to talk to you. Pleasure. So Stewie, I wanna go back to early days. I've, I've been lucky enough to see your act so many times all around the world. And uh, you love to talk about Brooklyn and Livonia Avenue and your Brooklyn roots. What was it, Stewie, about Brooklyn and that era in particular that produced so many funny people? Well, you had to be, you had to be funny in Brooklyn. There was no other way to survive. You know, we didn't do Shakespeare. We didn't do uh, we didn't basketball players, baseball players, or comics. And I'm proud to say I'm the last of the uh, of a breed. I'm the, you know, the, the great comics came out of uh, the class of 46. You know what I mean by 46? After the war. After the war, that's when Buddy Hackett showed up, yeah, Murray showed up, Alan King showed up, all your great comics, the guys that made the, the business. And I'm happy to say uh, I was friendly with all of them. And you are you are the last man standing. So you were you funny as a kid, Stewie? I'm going to guess the answer is yes. Yes, I was funny. I think I think I was funny. People around me laughed. <laughs> I'll tell you one thing: we knew each other. We were all friends to all the comics, and I never slapped anybody. So I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and you also played the drums, didn't you? That's how it started. Drums. Tell us the story. Okay. What, what happened was uh, my father had a dancing studio in Brooklyn. And, the, and he said, uh, we can't afford college. There's no money. I can give you $5 a week. I said, what's $5 a week going to do? He says, you'll take drum lessons. I said, what do I know about playing drums? He says, you got rhythm. Play drums. That's it. 
and I started hocking the drums. And that's how it started. And I played in weddings and bar mitzvahs and bar mitzvahs and weddings and bar mitzvahs. And I couldn't stand it. And a big turning point, I think it was in Fort Lauderdale when you opened uh, for Frankie Valley. Well, that, that was a turning point. I had I'd been working uh, strip joints and everything, but the turning point was working in Fort Lauderdale at a bachelor's degree. And they said, you want to work with this singer? And I didn't know who the hell he was. I didn't know the music. I do I, I I on the street where you live. I didn't know rock and roll. I was, I was a throwback. And uh, so they introduced me to the short Italian. They said, what's he going to do for me? I asked my wife, I said, who? I said, do you know who this guy is? She said, no, I don't know who this guy is. And that was how it started. And that I did. was a, a long association with Frankie Valley. 50 years. All right, so we'll talk more about Frankie, but let's go to part of uh, the world that is often forgotten now, but played such a seminal role uh, for so many in comedy in particular, and that's the Catskills. And as I recall, Stu, you were uh, at the Concord. Yeah, I was a social director. I did Simon Says on the Terrace. I said, everybody hands on hips place. Simon Says hands on shoulders place. And I did my jokes and they stood there in the sun and one by one, they got sunstroken and fell over. <laughs> and and talk, I remember my wife coming out of the dining room. So talk about that era because it was a really magical era. I think so many people today enjoy watching uh, the uh, Amazon show, Mrs. Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Uh, and that's brought it back to life for a new generation to some degree, but you lived it. I lived it. And it wasn't easy. It was, uh, first of all, you, you, you slept in a, in a terrible room. You didn't eat the, the regular food. And then you did the bungalow colonies to let they know your name. You know what a bungalow colony is? Sure. And uh, I hated it. And now I look back, I miss it all. And so many iconic names used to perform up there. Everybody, everybody came through the Concord. I saw... I saw uh, Judy Garland. I saw Barbara Streisand. The Catskills, they're the Catskills. And that era, so many great hotels. The Concord, I guess, was the most iconic, but it was Jerry Lewis at Brown's and Kutcher's and the Neville, and it was a whole community. Yeah, you worked your, you worked your way up. Class A hotels, Class B hotels, Class C. And the thing that made you a big hit, if you could headline the Concord on a Saturday night, which was the toughest thing, because Jews are dangerous. <laughs> they would right. turn their back and walk out. Right, very unforgiving crowds, I would think. Oh, yeah. The Concord is famous for its doors. It would, the Imperial Room was a big nightclub, big, big nightclub, held close to 4,000 people. 
and it had four doors in the back. And if they didn't like it, they walked out and the light would come in. And that's how you judge the act. How was the act? Oh, two doors. If you're a four door act, you were terrible. That meant they were all walking out on you. Mm, that's great. And who were some of the folks that you remember most fondly from that era who you worked with? Uh, Dick Sean. Remember Dick Sean? Sure. Uh, uh, Alan King, Buddy Hackett was there every every night. Uh, when, you, when you say remember fondly, there was a show every night. But he does get a lot of young girls, which brings us back to the guy 80 and the girl 22 who fell in love with him and wanted to marry him. He said, I could not give you enough sexual action. I have the appetite, but not the equipment. She said, nowadays, they are installing metal pieces in the penis. He goes with her to the, what do you call that guy, urologist, and talks to him about having an implant, a penile implant, which means a stick in your dick. Every night there was a show. Fantastic. And uh, you honed your comedy chops. And then I remember one day at the Friars, you sat down with me and you were telling some stories about the early 60s. And I'm going to jump around here a little bit. But you had some magical moments with Sonny and Cher, as I recall. Yes, 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 yes. I worked with Sonny and Cher. Cher taught me a lesson. I worked with Sonny and Cher. And... Uh, she didn't talk to me. I walked by me like I didn't exist. So I went to Sonny. I said, hey, Sonny, if she wants another comic, let her get another comic. I don't need this. I said, what's the problem? I said, she hasn't spoken to me. I said, how long has it been? I said, five weeks. She said, yeah, she hasn't spoken to me in 10 years. You're lucky. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And, and then the, she taught me a lesson that it was... Uh, Four o'clock in the morning, the phone rang and somebody's cursing me out. Hey, you son of a ba 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 And who was it? Cher. She said, did you squeal the sunny on me? I said, yeah, you didn't talk to me. She said, well, did you ever talk to me? And I realized I was afraid of her and I didn't talk to her. So it was a, like a combination. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were huge stars at that time. Big, big, big stars. Well, I don't know if all that's true. Cause you got me, baby, I got you. Hey. I got you, babe. I got you, babe. They say I love... A television show, that was the biggest thing on TV. They made, they were the biggest thing at fairs. They would go out, go out and make all their money uh, Friday and Saturday at, at fair dates and different dates around the country. Mm. And they weren't getting along anyway during the show. So there was a lot of fighting backstage. Mm. And you also opened for so many other incredible icons. Paul you mentioned and, uh, on and on and on. I mean, you've worked with everybody, Stewie. Everybody, everybody, everybody. And you mentioned the act, and I'll tell you. Well, I'd love to talk about some of those icons. I mean, not, I can't think of anybody when you look at some of these names and beyond Sonny and Cher, but Paul Anker and Dion Warwick and Bobby Vinton, Engelbert Humperdinck. I mean, Frankie, of course, for five decades, but it's really 
It's a remarkable career, Stewie. Well, it's not a career that uh, they have today. Today they make millions and uh, I made a living. No, you sure did. And were there particular places? I know the Catskills we touched on, but you've worked everywhere. Were there particular Every, places that you always look forward to going? I tell you, the first time I worked at Copacabana, uh, I, I bombed opening night. I worked with Gladys Knight and the Pips. And my wife came and she wore a red dress and I blamed, the night. it wasn't my act, it was her red dress. So <laughs> I've never allowed her to wear a red dress again. <laughs> And that Copa, the original Copa, that was one of the great magic the rooms. Copa downstairs. And what about some of the, uh, uh, you know, those great singers, Paul Anka? Paul, I worked with, a, uh, I worked with a, a long, long time. Uh, Paul was a, was a great, great talent, but uh, a very standoff kind of guy. When he wanted you, he called you and when he, uh, a friend of mine, uh, Pat Henry, who was a great comedian who worked for Frank Sinatra said, everybody wants to be the other star. Stay away from the star, you'll last a long time. Mm. So I remember once I was working Atlantic City with Paul Anka. Uh, he, he, uh, he had his secretary come and get an order for dinner for the band and everybody. He didn't take my order, so I said he didn't want me around. So I, I disappeared and I was downstairs and they were paging me, paging me. And what happened was he threw me a surprise birthday party and never invited me. <laughs> oh my gosh, amazing. And and what about Dion Warwick, still around today, so beloved? Yeah, well, I wasn't doing, I'll tell you, I'll be honest. It, 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 I wasn't that great with female artists. I was better with male artists. I got along much, much better with male artists. And why do you think that was? Just the nature of things? Uh, the reason for that was I related to men. I'm, I'm, I was never a woman. First of all, there were, when I was working, there were like three female comedians, not like today. Right. You had Jean Carroll. You had Tony Fields. You had... Uh, somebody else, you know, and there was all, it was a man's business. It was a guy's business. And I'm a man's man. I like men. Right. No, I understand. And you also, for the most part, um, worked clean. Uh, and you don't see that as much today. There are very few sort of A-list comedians who work clean, but I think you're living proof that you can be very funny without being dirty. It, it, Buddy Hackett was the first one of the named comedians to go dirty. You know what I mean? And uh, people would say, well, I, we were all around the table. and said, why are you doing the dirt? He says, the dirt, I make money. And, and what about Lenny Bruce? He's such a seminal figure in comedy. What was your take on Lenny? Everybody's doing Lenny today, a form of Lenny Bruce. When people say to me, how come you're divorced? I always make up a lie and say, my mother-in-law broke up my marriage. I said, well, how'd that happen? So one day my wife came home early from work and she found us in bed together. <laughs> She's an old woman, but firm. And uh... Yeah, we went up, Louis Black sent me up to the Comedy Center in Jamestown, all the way upstate. 
and they yeah. have a, a blue room dedicated to the history of dirty jokes and, and, you know, subversive comedy. And there was a very well done exhibit to Lenny. And he seems to be just the towering figure uh, of all time. Well, I mean, look what's going on now. Uh, a kindergarten teacher admitted that he, he was gay and they're firing him as a big stink. And 35, 40 years ago, Lenny Bruce fought for a gay teacher. And that's what got him in trouble. The, the, the trouble was, he said, I asked the kids, did you learn arithmetic? They said, yeah. He said to the kids in the class, did you learn anything about blowjobs? They said, no, he's, then he's a good teacher. Right, no, very, very well said. And Stewie, what you, you've seen so much What's your take today? You know, we just saw what happened at the Academy Awards and uh, it seems like in culture, it's harder to be funny today. I think it's easier to be funny today than it was when I started. Being funny today is a lot easier. They watch the Academy Awards. I didn't understand anything. I didn't know the people. I didn't understand the people. Comedy, say what you want, do what you want. The only problem is you can't get slapped. Right. Oh, boy. Of the folks working today, the younger folks, who do you, who do you like? Who do you say that guy or gal's really got it? I, well, I'm a Chris Rock guy, and I'm a, a, the older guys. Chris Rock. Uh, who else is there? Well, what about some of your old buddies like Dick Capri? George Carlin was sensational. Bill Cosby was sensational. Gilbert Godfrey. Right. And what about your buddy Dick Capri? Dick Capri is great. Dick Capri is what a comic used to be. Clean, good jokes, great timing, dresses, appreciates his audience. That's what we had. We appreciated our audience. Sure did. We needed the audience. And Stewie, we first met many, many years ago at the Friars Club. And back in the heyday, uh, when the club was doing those great roasts, you know, they would have a huge lineup and, you know, dais is, you know, know, as, as far and wide as you could see. But you were the one, Stewie, who at every roast would nail it. And we were all in the audience, and I was one of them. We were just waiting for you. Well, you, one of the, the, the thing about a roast, the magical thing, the friars created an art form 100 years ago, which is still valid today. And the younger comics have ruined it because what it was is, if you're invited to be on the dais, you're safe. Today, the comic goes on everybody sitting in there. You know, just roast the honoree. Like I asked Buddy Hackett, I said, let, let us roast you, buddy. And he said, uh, no. Then I asked Don Rickles, and Don Rickles said something very clever to me. Don Rickles said, I don't want to be roasted because everybody I know is dead. All my friends are dead. And I don't want to sit there and have some young snot nose call me an asshole, and he's never put time in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no, I, listen, that make, makes a lot of sense. But there were some great funny moments. I mean, I remember the roast. Oh, yeah. 
uh, of, uh, you know, the Tarantino roast and, you know, the Trump roast uh, many years ago. I mean, and I, you give him credit. I, uh, he, he, he took it, you know, pretty well. That was, that was a real, that was a brutal roast. Well, I said some things to him, boy. And you want to know something? Years later, I was in uh, Mar-a-Lago. He wasn't the president, and he remembered it, and he took me around and introduced me to people and said how funny I was. Yeah, yeah, no, he took he took it quite well. That was that was, that was really brutally funny. And yeah. let's talk some more about Frankie. You had such a special relationship with Frankie Valley, and and as you said, over fifty years. I know you're godfather to some of his children, and vice versa uh, to your beautiful daughter. Um, but talk about the friendship with Frankie. The friendship grew because we're both inner city kind of guys. He is a Jersey guy from the, and I'm a Brooklyn guy. So we related in that respect. And uh, we didn't, and he's not political. He's not, uh, he's just a, a nice guy. It's like uh, you're back in high school with him. Mm. And amazing, 87, we just bought tickets to go see him at Radio City in May, still going. I hope he makes it. <laughs> me, me too. And as you uh, reflect on your career and you and Franny are, you know, just your wife is, is as funny and as charming as you are. But as you reflect uh, now in your retiring years, were there particular memories, Stewie, that really make you smile, you know, particularly wide? You want to know something? When I was doing it, I hated it, and I missed it. And when they talk about it, I get so jealous because it was my life. I had nothing else in my life but to stand on that stage and, and try and be funny. I really miss it. Wow. And it's a true art form. Well, you, you, never, you never missed. And it was such a privilege to get to work with you so many times. We did some great stuff. We had a great night. You may recall with you and Dominic Chianese, the great, yeah. the great singer, and uh, and so many other nights and so many other wonderful memories. But um, you're a jewel, Stewie, and uh, the world and this country is better with you in it. And uh, I can't tell you, I would thank you enough. I hope I'm in it for a while. All the laughter you've given us. Well, I really hope uh, I'm in it for a while. You know, we all get older and we look back at what might have been and. Uh, Thank God I did it. You bet. Playboy clubs, I did it. There hasn't been anything in show business I missed, except television and movies. Right, right. But in the live forum and the clubs and the great theaters uh, of our country, you've, been, you've played them all. Played them all. I love Florida, the land of phlegm. It is so great there. If I hear one more time in my life, I'm gonna kill everybody. And I love when guys retire. You ever see the way they dress? They wear pink, green, lavender leisure suits. Jewish men retire to dress like pimps. It's an ethnic thing, you know. But the best thing about Florida, and I'm always there with Freddie, you can always spot an ethnic table in Florida by the way they order. If you listen, like an Italian table ringside, this is what you hear. Hey, a little more vino over here. An Irish table, a little more beer over here. Jewish table, we didn't get any rolls. Can we get some rolls? <laughs> Would I lie to you? Man's worth $40 million. He's stealing prune Danish and sweet and low. Only a Florida. 
Jews go to Florida to stock up on sweet and low for the rest of our life. We walk into restaurants and go, hide the sweet and low, the Jews are coming. I brought my uncle to a supermarket, he saw a sweet and low on the shelf. He said, I never knew they came in boxes. I didn't know that. See, you talk about the Catskills. This is where we all got our start. You can always do jokes like this up there. And I do the same jokes no matter where I go, which is not always easy. Because three weeks ago, I did a concert with Paul Anka in Billings, Montana. You try doing this crap in Montana with, the, with those Fabissiners sitting there with the crew cuts. You ever been to Montana? Squarest place in the world. In Montana, Velveeta cheese is in the gourmet section of the supermarket. In Montana? So the way you get along is to admit what you do bad, not to brag about what you do good. See, that's survival. That's the way you can do these jokes all over the country. Listen, I'm Jewish, I'm proud. You want to know we do the worst? Collectively speaking, Jewish men are the worst athletes the good Lord ever put on this earth. And when I say that, people get incensed. Give me this. What about Sandy Koufax, Sid Luckman, Hank Greenberg? Three in 400 years. They want to go crazy. <laughs> Come on, you're a sports fan. How many Jewish men do you know that could dunk the ball? We don't get that tall. The Jew is 5'6". We call them stretch. I mean, that's it for us. <laughs>